Have you ever thought of the difference between a maze and a labyrinth? The Greek myth of the Minotaur tells the story of a monster with the head of a bull and a body of a man imprisoned in the underground labyrinth in the island of Crete. It is said that the hero who crossed this maze and killed the Minotaur would have never been able to get out without the string that led him back to the surface. But labyrinths have a single continuous path which leads to the center. And as long as you keep going forward, you will eventually get there. Whereas mazes are made of multiple paths, they often sport false openings and dead ends. So I guess there's two ways of reading that story. Either the labyrinth was actually a maze designed to trap all who entered, or it was a labyrinth with a clear exit that people missed in their desperation and overwhelming fear of the Minotaur. My name is Rosario Lebrijaras Vetayev, and this is Sublime Art, a podcast that brings you artists from all mediums whose work calls on the sublime. This is a special episode in partnership with Freeze 91, recorded in May to a live audience during Freeze New York City. Freeze 91 is the Art Fair's membership program, which I encourage everyone to join. Today we hear from contemporary artist Daniel Lugan. The interview took place at Japanese restaurant Gigi Tokyo, where Daniel was commissioned to paint a mural of his one continuous line. American Cuban Dugan has had a lifelong practice of drawing this labyrinth-like line that never intersects. He has painted the line in all sorts of canvases. Wood, fine fabrics, ceramics, bald heads, lawns, sands, even wallets. His work is meditative and hypnotic. It challenges us to see life not as a maze, but as a labyrinth. So thank you so much for joining us on this gorgeous day in New York. It's been raining cats and dogs. And we're joined by an amazing artist here in Gigi Tokyo, which is an incredible Japanese restaurant in New York City during freeze week. So I know there's been a lot of art events this week, and I know that today is a jam-packed day. So thank you for everybody that's coming. This is the launch of the Sublime Art Podcast, and it's also the first live recording that we do for this podcast. So again, thank you everybody for coming, and I'm super excited to be interviewing Daniel. I'm super excited to be here. Thank you. So Daniel, you've had quite an interesting career. Uh, from what I understand, you started out as an actor. I did. Well, before that, I started out as a pre-med student. Oh, really? Um, and I thought that that's where I would use my steady hand. Um, and then I decided uh, to move to New York, and I was studying theater and TV and film and working in that world. And, and you know, I had a little notebook, which I still have, uh, with all my little line drawings I've been doing since I was 10. Um, but I never thought it would, you know, manifest into what it has become. Um, and then when I moved to L.A., um, that notebook just got larger in size, and then I moved to larger pieces of paper and canvas and grass and sand and all the things I've been working on. So it's, it's been a nice progression from six inches to, you know, much larger. Yeah, I mean, and we'll get into these very large-scale works in a second. But I want to I wanna start with this incredible mural that you did here in this restaurant, which is why we chose to do this talk in this restaurant. Um, it takes over almost the entire wall, correct? Mm -hmm, 36 feet. Wow. And how did this happen? How did they approach you? Um, I was on a trip in the Caribbean, and I met an interior designer at a at a party. <laughs> and um, she was asking me what I do, and I showed her my work, and she said, oh, my God, there's a project in New York. I'm like, oh, I used to live there. 
she said, I'm having a call with them right now. And there's this other artist <laughs> they were going to use, but I think that, that your work would look really great on this brick wall. Can you paint a brick wall? And I said, uh-huh, sure. Um, uh, I'll figure it out. <laughs> and so she had the call, and she came back, and she said, I love the idea. Um, can you come next month? And it just happened really quickly. And I got to stay in the hotel next door and worked for a week and a half on this. And I essentially translated another painting I made uh, just made it 36 feet long. Wow. Yeah. So that's how usually, how long it takes you, a, a week and a half? No, a lot of that's kind of on the short end. Um, it depends on the piece. Um, a lot of them, like I'll start and not, um, like this one, for instance, I wasn't really sure. I, I put like a, a sand textured background from the sand I'd collected in Thailand. And a lot of times I, I try not to know what the next step will be. Uh, sometimes I know, but sometimes I just realize I'll figure it out when I get there. And so then it came uh, a red line and then a darker red line and then the gold. So it's fun to like kind of surrender to letting things develop and trusting you'll make the right, well, the strongest choice in the moment. And all of your works have this line. You're obsessed with this line. What is I this line? Am, I know this line has been in my head since I was a kid. And it started out from what I remember in the fourth grade in Miss Epperson's class. I have this memory. Shout out. Uh, yeah, Ms. E thank you, Ms. Everson, for not making me stop. Um, I would just, I don't know, I guess I learned that I was obsessed with systems and spatial relationships and somewhat uh, perfection. Um, so I would just see if I could fill up a whole page with a single line. And the rules I made up were that the line had to be perfectly spaced and they could never cross or intersect. So I, and there's no straight lines and no right angles. So with those parameters, I just gave myself a little puzzle to solve. So I couldn't like cheat. I had to have the patience to like get from here to there, knowing I had to fill in here and fill in there. And for me, it was like a little game. So it just was my own little um, puzzle of my own creation to see if I could have the patience to, to go to the end. And that, so it started on paper and then napkins and little objects. And then it just obviously got more complex as I got older. Mm. But you also don't break the line. What does that right. translate to in life? Because I think there's a lot of parallels in your work too. I mean, like we're getting philosophical here, sure. but there's some parallels there. I've come to find out that the line essentially represents time because you can't go back and you can't jump forward. Um, you only have exactly where you're at. And, you know, I didn't really understand the meaning when I was younger. It was, it was like this puzzle. Um, but as I've developed and learned more about different philosophies and different cultures and uh, also seen something, some things very similar in science, and I had a, a science background, um, like in physics, this is called a, a space-filling system. And then I realized, oh, wow, I have a system because I have these rules that every piece abides by. And it was just very satisfying. But I realized that the line is, is like time. That's why I can't cheat. I can't jump to another moment in time like we all can't skip a day we don't want to be in or skip a conversation, um, that there is value in every moment of your life. If you're given some moment, then you're given that to see, to simply observe yourself mm. in that moment. And you can like it or not, but it will pass and turn into something else, whether it's joy or fear in that moment. So for me, every piece is essentially that practice of like, okay, this is where I'm at. I accept that, yes, and I will move forward. I will learn from what happened before, or maybe I won't. Uh, but you'll never be in the exact same moment in time, ever. So there's some kind of sense of relief that um, 
somehow everything in your life is happening for you in a way you may not understand. This is what I've gotten out of it so mm. far. That's beautiful. And it's almost meditative, I think. I mean, I've seen you work and I've seen a lot of videos. You film yourself a lot working. Mm -hmm. Do you take breaks in this one continuous oh, yeah. line? I definitely take breaks. I think I, when I get to a point where my eyes start to get a little bit, or like if I see this, because the spacing has to be uniform, if I see the spacing a little, I don't know, let me take a break. So yeah, I'll go for as long as I can uh, until I get to practice making the decision. I'm going to listen to my body. I need to like take a break or like I had a thought. Um, so it's really about just make it, it's all decision making. Hmm. And you know, I, I thought about this lately because I think about how it started when I was a kid and I was, you know, tried to be a nerd and like I wanted to get good, good grades, but I was a very slow test taker. I was always the last one to turn in a test, like the very last one, I'll double check. Even if I knew it was all right, I would just hold on to it. They had to like pry it out of my hands. So I feel like this practice for me is like a way to like make a decision, have it be final, and then move on. Mm. Um, I can't stay there and think about it too long. So it really helps me um, just move forward. You've worked in some really large-scale projects in Bali, mm -hmm. in Cuba. You want to tell us about, about one of them? Maybe, maybe let's start with the Bali one. Sure. Um, well, the Bali one we have was led by the Cuba one. So if I okay, can, well, I'll, maybe the other way we'll start with the Cuba, yeah. <laughs> so my mom was born in Cuba uh, in 1950, and I grew up in Alabama thinking I could never go. It was just something, you know, you couldn't do. And finally, in 2018, I called my mom and said, um, are you sitting down? I think I'm going to go to Cuba in two days. Uh, I just want your blessing. And she said, yes, I understand. You can go. And so I went to find her home and see if it was still there. Your family was still over there? No, she, they moved in uh, 1960. Okay. Uh, so she was 10 years old. Um, so I went on a quest to, to see her house and see if it was still there and learn about my roots. And when I got there, um, I found the house and then I also uh, painted like this whole room in, in this, this space uh, in Havana. And then I worked with, I wanted to do a project with kids. So we... I found the school, and we painted a background of, a, of like a four by three foot uh, paper, and then I overlaid it with my line, and they wrote their name, and they put the Cuban flag, and from there was born this idea that I would do this around the world. So I did do that in Bali, and I've done it in LA, and just find a group of kids and tell them like, you know, when I was your age, uh, I would like to draw this line, but maybe there's something you'd like to draw, like houses or butterflies or like squares or whatever. So just draw whatever you want to draw. We'll fill up the page with color, and then I'll do my line on top, and together we make a beautiful piece. And then I have three, I have four of those now from different countries. So at some point I need to do a show, and then the money will go to each foundation um, or each school. So this is kind of an ongoing international project that is really exciting for me. My mom uh, was a teacher of, or is a teacher of ESL. Okay. English as a second language. So I grew up, you know, with her and all the kids. So I, I don't know. I have this affinity for... You know, you know, making, you know, being creative with, with kids and seeing how, how fun it is for them to, to create. So I did that in Bali. Yeah, because your work is very playful. You know, the colors mm. you use, the shapes you use, uh, they're, uh, they're not childlike. You know, it's a very, very beautiful process, but it is very playful. Do you have any influences uh, with, you know, artists that are alive or in history? Right. Um, that's a good question. Um, well, you know, I never thought I was an artist. I never went to, I'm from a little town in Alabama, so I never really, I was just telling uh, my friend today, like, 
She's like, when did, did you go to museums when you were younger? And I said, no, there, there weren't any, you know? The first time I went to a museum, like a real museum, I think it was after college, I was backpacking through Europe and saw like all the major museums there. And then when I worked in, uh, in, when I was in New York as an actor, I was like, you know, a cater waiter, of course. So I got to see all these great museums because I had like, jobs there. So that was probably my first introduction to, um, to the art world in that way, uh, to be honest. Um, and so then, yeah, as I've learned, you know, over the years and become, it's become my full-time mm. uh, career, passion, I've you know, obviously been learning about a lot of, uh, you know, art, art history and where perhaps do I fit in or what's been done before. So I guess I can't say, you know, I did read an article at some point in the beginning uh, by Kusama and she, um, obviously I was mesmerized by her work, this obsession with this one thing. And I remember. <laughs> I wonder why. Um, and I know I was like, should I be worried? Um, <laughs> and um, and I I read this quote, and she said the, the interviewer asked her, "What is your advice to artists?" And she said, um, "Pick one thing and just do that." And I read that, and I was like, "Oh my god, I've been doing one thing for decades." And this was kind of at the moment where I I realized maybe what I'm doing is an art form is my own expression that I was doing just for myself. Mm. And then when I started sharing it and then obviously turning it into a career and something that I did uh, as a profession, that I remember that moment and thinking, okay, well, I'm, I'm doing that. And that kind of helped me believe it, you know? How do you, how do you believe that you're an artist? I don't know. I think I just always have seen myself as a creative and that was enough for me. I think it's very hard for artists to take that leap to becoming full-time artist but I think there's a certain magic to the fact that you didn't study art because you have this flexibility between mediums you know so many artists get fixated and that they're I don't know painters or sculptors or in just one medium and and some of them I have experienced you know even look down on painting on everyday objects or or even commercializing their work and for example mm -hmm. I mean I'm seeing the scarves that you've made and I think you know that there's there's a beauty to that I don't know, multiplicity that you're able to have. Because you've, you've kind of painted everywhere, right? You paint with sand, you paint, you, you mowed. Yes. You're lying oh, into yes. a lawn some, somewhere. Yeah, at the beginning of the pandemic, I needed to get outside. And uh, I was at a friend's house and he said, I need to cut the grass. Cause, <laughs> and I was like, um, well, I'm from Alabama. I cut grass for, you know, as a child, like every day. Um, so I made my first money. So I, I'll do it. And I said, I might want to try something. He's like, yeah, yeah, sure, whatever. So I took this beautiful uh, patch of grass and just wondered, could I do it? Like every piece I make is like just an exploration with the, with a different material. So um, I did do it and uh, it turned out like so well. And I want to do more. I want to do it in Central Park. If anyone knows anyone in Central Park, I want to make a life-size labyrinth that's a public piece of art that everyone can have their own walking meditation um, in. So it's just like, yeah, since I w didn't grow up in the art world or studying it, I never felt any limitations or restrictions of what I was supposed to be, since I wasn't trying to be anything. Mm. And I didn't really know. I mean, ignorance can be bliss. So I was like, I'm just being creative. So when I drawn it in the sand in different countries and shot it with a drone, it was just like every, every little piece feeds into the next piece. Um, why don't I do this? Or yeah, why don't I paint? I painted this beautiful antique face vessel in Bali um, of this collector's. I'm like, can I paint that? And um, that got me into a little more object work, which is great because it has, already has a history and now it has the modern version on it. So 
Yeah, I guess I just never was scared to, I don't know, to be or to not be something. Because I'm just, just me being creative with my little line. Yeah, you know? to be or not to be, that is the question, right? It was yes. the question, yeah. <laughs> Shakespeare. Um, no, but I, I, now that you mention it, I actually do see mazes in your work. That mm -hmm. would be quite fun to do a an actual maze yeah. of the line and that people can go into it and get well, lost. That, that's the, the one I did with the lawnmower yeah. in, in L.A. Is, is just that. And, you know, one thing, once, once I was drawing them, I, 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 learned, uh, I learned that what I was doing was making labyrinths. And there is a lot of difference between a labyrinth and a maze. I didn't mm. know that. And so I started reading and researching, you know, ancient labyrinths um, and mazes from you know, China and Italy and different, different time, time periods. And uh, I learned the difference. And the labyrinth is a unicursal path with no intersection. And you can't get lost or you don't have anything to be worried about in, in a labyrinth which is why it's meditative, because you know there's only one path. Right. And if you begin it, you will end it. It may take a while, and you may not be able to see where you're going, but there's like a calm you can have, and there is like a freedom you can have in your thoughts, uh, in your own meditation, thinking about whatever you think about when you meditate. You know, you can't really get it wrong. You just, you just sit there, or you just walk through it. I guess it's about not panicking on the journey. Right, whereas a maze is uh, um, a polycrystal path. So you can get lost, there's dead ends, you can give up, you can get frustrated, you can get turned around. So I think it was around this time when I was learning, okay, I'm making labyrinths and not mazes, uh, that I realized that the line represented time. And it was a flow of events and people and emotions that are coming in and out of your life and that are temporary. And um, that's what kind of helped me realize the... The, the meaning and the analogy of um, our life is more like a labyrinth. Mm. It's the steady flow of unexpected things. Like there's no way that you can know real anything for sure. <laughs> Every moment, like anything could happen or you could feel a certain way, you could see a certain thing. So knowing that everything is constantly evolving, you can kind of relax and like, wow, there's no way I can predict this day or this relationship or this moment. Um, so I can just relax. You can't really control a whole lot of things, not even how you feel. And, I, you know, being coming from, like, the acting world, I realized that, you know, why did I do that? Like, where, where did that fall in my life and how did that add to my life? And obviously it, it allowed me to learn about myself and my interest in human emotions and interactions. And obviously I'm, you know, a sensitive person, an emotional person. You know, I guess I always have been. And I realize that that part of my life feeds into what I'm doing now visually with, with art and that everything was kind of serving me as I moved through this, this path of my line mm. and how it can help me connect with other people. I mean, I love, I have these little cards I think I've shown you, and so it's a little personality test. I have people select which card they want, uh, and then I come up with some reason why, what it means. Uh, but it's really just a way to, it's like a social experiment to foster a conversation. And like I have, I have one that has this heart that I drew, and the, the number of people that pick that card or tell me about how it reminds them of someone in their family or um, something to do with love, like, that just makes, brings me so much joy, even just having the conversation about mm. what it can lead to. So I love that. I love, I love talking to people. I love talking to strangers. And if my little card or my art in any way can bring about some kind of emotional response in them or me, I, that makes me happy. That's what matters. You engage a lot with your audience. But you're in Mexico now. Mm -hmm. So how did you end up in Mexico? And are you, are you doing the project that you do with the kids there as well? I ended up in Mexico City two years ago. I've been a couple times and loved it. Uh, but I never thought I would, I would be staying there. And I went there for, uh, for a project for a week, during Art Week. And 
once I was there, I stayed a little longer. And then it was early pandemic, so everyone's like rewriting the rules of their life, right? Yeah. Like, oh, maybe I could do this, or maybe I don't need to do that. You're, I think some of us with certain, in certain fields got a little more freedom with how we got to work or make money. Um, so I realized that I should stay there and have my next work be influenced by Mexican culture and Mexican history and the colors and the materials I was finding. So I kind of traveled around the country and collected materials or, or colors and got lots of inspiration from, from even the indigenous uh, cultures and what they were, what the artisans were making. Uh, so I got a studio in Condesa and I kind of go back and forth between there and LA and have you know, a whole new collection of work that's inspired from you know, such an old world and from the US. So uh, to be in another country that's like rooted in you know, the Aztec culture, the Mayans, like you just see, and I'm learning so much obviously about history, you know? And learning about history when you're not in school is like when you really want to know. Well, you look up, wow, who lived here and why did they make this pot and what did they use with it, you know? Um, so that's, that's been fun. I guess I'm, I'm going to be, all of us, you know, we're like learning our whole lives about what we want to learn about. And I feel like there's a lot of power in that. What are some of the materials that have inspired you in, in Mexico? Um, I just found this like old Oaxacan vessel that was used for some kind of food making, I think. And it was found in an attic in Oaxaca, so I... I intervened and painted my line uh, in different colors on that. So I found some really interesting objects. Um, different sand. I collected some dirt. This really beautiful red dirt that was... Uh, like was terracotta? The, or? Yeah, it was, it was red in the moment, but now it's a little brown. Um, but uh, I was on a, like a little road trip through the center of the country, and I told my friend, stop, 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 I want that dirt. And they're like, what? I'm like, no, 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 I'm going to collect the dirt. You're gonna collect I want to go on a road trip with you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going to have a stopping for all kinds of things. So um, I collected this little bag of dirt uh, from the street, and now I'm working, making it into a, a piece. Uh, so, yeah, just there's, there's just creativity in every material I can find. So... Yeah. I just bought something today at a little vintage shop, a little pot. <laughs> I mean, you have this Hispanic side to you that you, you know, you left or your mother left and, mm -hmm. and you found your way back to Cuba and now you're finding yourself in Mexico. Is this something that, you know, you think you're going to probably keep going back to? To Cuba? Well, not only to, to Cuba, I guess all of Latin America. I guess so, yeah. I mean, I think there's... Because there's a lot Cuban of other blood. countries in Mexico, eh? I know. Okay, okay, <laughs> okay, we have a lot of Colombians <laughs> in the audience here. Okay, oh, you do? Oh, amazing. Okay, let's, yeah, oh, let's go to Colombia. Come on. As long as I can collect some dirt and things on the side. Um, yeah, there, I've never been, you know, I've been a lot of places in the last two years uh, with this line, but I have not been to South America ever, actually. I've been to Mexico, I've been to Honduras, I've been to, um, actually off the coast of Honduras was where I realized my line looks like something in nature, like brain coral. Uh, so that was like a big turning point for me when I was in, uh, off the coast of Utila. Um, so that, that gave me that. Led That's so funny, I'm looking at one of your paintings here that you mm. have, uh, it's, it's a blue and it reminds me so much, I used to scuba dive a lot, it mm. reminds me so much of coral reefs. And you only just figured that out now. Right. Yeah, it was about, I don't know, two, 10 years ago maybe. But yeah, I was snorkeling and I was underwater. And I'm from Alabama, so I need to, I need to be underwater a little more to uh, be more comfortable. <laughs> Obviously, because I used to be a fish in another life. You know, why am I right. drawing this line? Why am I? Because right, I, yeah. I saw these huge cool brain coils. That's what you realized. That's when you I, were, I looked down okay. there and I was like, oh my God, how did my line get down here? 
you know? <laughs> I was like, oh my God, there, there, these huge, there's like hundreds of fields, these beautiful orbs. And uh, I was like, kind of had a moment underwater. Um, and I realized that, uh, okay, this is a, a, an organic system. This has already been done before by someone somewhere. Um, and I, that's when I realized this must mean something. Mm. And that's when I got back to LA and got the studio and um, I stopped acting and just like started creating and, you know, not really as a business yet. Like, you know, there were many years I just kept making things and at some point I was like, I guess I should sell, sell these. these. <laughs> but I didn't want to and I didn't know the value and uh, what is this worth? I have no idea. I mean, my first commission was like $500 and I was scared to like ask for that. I was like, who am I? Like, someone's going to give me 500 mm. for one of my things, you know? Obviously, it's gotten more over the years as I've assigned, like, you know, uh, a meaning to it. And mm. um, I kept most, almost all my originals I still kind of have from 2008 to 2017. I've lost. It's funny how in the creative business, people don't uh, assign value to what they do. You know, it's, yeah. it's, it takes it's time. like the only industry that you can, like, truly bargain down good work. Like, if you go yeah. to a lawyer, there's no way you're no, going to exactly. ask for less for the hourly uh -huh. rate. You know, yeah. but for an artist, you can try to get so much less for a painting. Uh -huh. And people and do. Just, uh -huh. And they do, exactly. <laughs> they do, and you just, you know, it just takes time. I mean, it takes time to, like, really, like, stand your ground and say, no, this is worth this amount to me. And, like, even if you need the money, say, no, I'm not going to sell it. That's hard to do. But, I mean, I'm playing the long game here and knowing that. Thank God I kept. I got my first sales, in, like, in 2017 around were, like, pieces I made then. Then everything I sold after that was made then or later. And, you know, I've been just, like, hiding all this work. Mm. It means so much to me. Like, I know why I made it. I know why I picked that color. I know, like, um, that I was just going to hold on to it until the right time. And thankfully I did because I did have, like, a pretty notable collector come to my studio, like, on his museum, and he got four of those earlier pieces. And I was wow. like, wow, I'm, I waited all this time to, like, meet the right person who could appreciate it. The line came did. to fruition. The line came yeah. to fruition. So thank God I waited. So I just have a lot more of those that I don't know if I, I need to have a show or need to put them up somewhere. But uh, We definitely I, need to do a show for you. Yeah. Um, you, you talked about Latin America quite a bit, mm -hmm. but uh, there's a print on my left that's mm -hmm. a Buddha. Yes. And it's done with Japanese ink. Am I correct? Yes. Mm -hmm. So what's your influence? I mean, and we are in a Japanese restaurant. Yeah. Uh, so what's your influence with Asia? Well, I... Um, Years ago, in, well, years ago, 2017 or 18, I was in LA and I met this, uh, I met this uh, Chinese businessman who was in fashion and he saw my work like at a party. I think I was at the UTA opening. Um, and he saw my little cards and I was telling him about my work and um, he ended up um, bringing me to Shanghai and I went there three times in those next two years. Uh, and there I met a woman who's uh, a Buddhist woman who used to be the head of a, a, a big fashion company. And um, she saw my card and she's like, oh, wow, this is very, before I said anything, she said, this is very Buddhist, this line, this wandering line. She's like, I love it. So she invited me to a dinner. And then in the middle of the dinner, she said, oh, my God, Daniel, I have, I have something I, I, I would like for you to draw if you can. And she's like, I have so much art like from my life, but I've never like commissioned a piece. And um, she said his name is Kasidi Garba. He's one of the four principal bodhisattvas in Buddhism. He's the protector of children. Um, he's well regarded in uh, China, but also in Japan. There's a huge monument of him in Japan, which is most of most of this image is based off of. But it's a composite of a couple of images. So 
you know, with every commission, it's obviously a, a sign. Like, I'm meeting this person for a reason. They feel compelled to ask me to make something. Well, and he represents the protector of children. Yeah. He's been talking about yeah. children the whole time. And so it was, like, a, a sign just to, like, learn about him and learn more. Uh, I had read some, some books on Buddhism prior, which kind of were letting me know that, that there, was, there were some parallels with this meditative line and drawing. Um, but that piece was very significant, so... I'm a very sentimental person, so I, I realized I needed to listen to his mantra the whole time. So I listened to his mantra for like hours and hours and hours, drawing this. Um, until I got to Shanghai and the like, internet went out and I couldn't listen to it. And I didn't want to like, break my rule. I wanted to like, have every mo- movement have like, these Sanskrit words being chanted. So I like, walked around in circles. It was the day before I had to deliver it. And I was like, what do I do? Uh, and I realized... Um, you know what, I kind of can hum it in my head. It's, it's hard to remember all these words. It's very complicated. Can you um, hum it for us now? Mm-hmm. It, I guess I'm like, Chimbo, Chimbo, Chim Chimbo, I can shout Chimbo, Chimbo, and like a lot of that. But they're all different words. <laughs> and so like, I still haven't memorized it. But um, I, would, I was like, you know what, I could hum it in my head and that will count. And I will sit in silence and just hum it the best I can. And like, I don't need to hear what I thought I needed to hear to get what I want. You know, I can modify. And that taught, you know, I learned that little thing from this, this moment. And that translates to so many of our lives. Like, oh, I can't do this because I need that. Or I can't start that because I should be there. You know, uh, we kind of make these rules and we can break them. We can say, I don't need, I don't need to be ready to do this thing hmm. or to meet this person or to, like, start this job. Just, you know, just jump in and do it before you're ready. So that was a really nice gift. Uh, and obviously I learned more about him. And then there are three other bodhisattvas that I realized, okay, I want these to like, come from people so that I don't want to just draw them for no reason. Like, who's next? Uh, and then last year, uh, a woman saw this one, and she said, oh, that she had a, a strong connection with Guan Yin, who's the, a feminine uh, deity. She's the goddess of compassion. She has 18 arms. Um, and she said, I really have a strong connection with her, and... Um, the Divine Feminine, and she said, would you draw her? I'm like, I would love to. Uh, and so I just finished her last week. Uh, oh, congrats. Actually, because I, I kind of delayed it because I was traveling, but when I was in Thailand, I, uh, someone said, oh, let's go to this temple. And we got there, and it was one of her temples. And thank God I'd waited because I got to learn more about her, learn her mantra, and I took uh, the image I used as a composite of like four different versions of her. So I created like a somewhat new image um, and you know learned a lot about that and I guess I'll just tell you now the thing I learned right away from that one was I like you know I can't mess up <laughs> or I have to start over with the illustrations so if I oh, make wow. a wrong turn or if my hand slips or if there's an earthquake um, so I have to start over um, or the spacing is off you know so there's a lot of focus I like clean the room I turn off the phone like really just try to clear my mind um, and when I started Guan Yin, I, was, I started her, and, and I just like said to her, I was looking at the photo, and I said, okay, you're the goddess of compassion, so in this, like, these weeks that I'm going to be drawing you, like, can you just tell me what that means? What does compassion mean? And like, right away, something in my head said, um, compassion for yourself. And I was like, like, right away I heard that, and right before I started drawing, and I was like, okay, that means something. Because, um, you know, I, I was thinking of compassion for other people and, like, how can you be more selfless? How can you help other people, you know? And I realized compassion for yourself is, like, such a beautiful thing to think mm. about. 
um, because we can be hard on ourselves about so many things. I think we're the hardest on ourselves. It's so funny you bring it up. I've been I've been working a lot on self compassion. Yeah, you know, I think it's something that we we give so much to so many people, and then we we just think we're well for for many years. For me, I've always you know thought like what I'm doing is never enough. You mm-hmm. know, and we just don't let ourselves like enjoy the moment or enjoy what we're doing yeah. because we're always thinking of the next thing, especially in the in the world we live in, which is so mm. fast paced. Yeah. So it's funny you, you bring that up actually. Yeah. Um, it, it, yeah. It's okay to be lost and it's okay to not know. In fact, every drawing, I don't know where I'm going, but I know that it'll be okay and that I'll end up there if I just follow my little rules mm. of the spacing. Um, so each time is a practice of like, I don't know, but... I'll figure it out. I'll figure it out. It, I was going to ask you, you know, what's your relationship to the sublime? Because this podcast is about the sublime, but I feel, I feel like we've been talking about it the entire time yeah. because it's it's that faith, you know, it's a, it's beautiful, but it's terrifying and we feel lost, but, you know, you have to kind of, well, for me at least, but, but yeah. I yeah, I'm know, lost I, every day. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know, it's fun to get lost, especially in a city like New York, uh, to get sometimes, lost geogra- sometimes. geographically. You know, it's like <laughs> when you just, you know, I don't want to say let go of control. But when you just kind of, um, yeah, when you do do that, when you, when, you, when you try to get lost, like in a city you're not familiar with, that's when like you run into that person or you, you get an idea or someone's like complaining to me about, oh, this day's not going the way. And I'm like, you know, an, a good idea could come to you out of this day. And that will be enough. Mm. That could change your career or your money or your relationship. Like we, we, got, we can allow ourselves to have these like moments of like frenetic activity or to be lost because like you're stuck at an airport for five hours you might have one idea you might make one phone call to your mom or to whoever else but like these things could change your life or put you on a different path so just kind of to stay calm in those moments Mm. um to say um i don't need to know well daniel thank you so much for joining us i think we're Uh, out of time and i want to take a few questions from the audience in case anybody has any um but thank you so much for joining the podcast oh, and pleasure. creating this space uh, for us in this wonderful restaurant here oh, in New you. York City. If you like this episode, please rate, review, and subscribe on whatever platform you're listening to. You can also follow us on Instagram at Sublime Art Podcast. Don't miss our next episode where we explore the sublime with another artist. <laughs>